and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, our topic is building and managing calcium and sulfur in your soils. May sound a little bit confusing, but we want to get to these two important elements in your soil and in your crop on today's show. If you've got any questions for us about calcium, sulfur, or anything going on in your farm, you can call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, agphd media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, calcium and sulfur. They are two very different nutrients. Let me start with sulfur. When you put elemental sulfur out, that's fairly stable, but eventually it's going to convert to sulfate, the form your plant's going to use, and then then it's leachable. Sulfate's leachable. Whereas calcium, yes, it can be flushed out of the soil, but for the most part, you get your calcium level up and you're in pretty good shape. Now, we've had issues even on our own farm years ago where when we were putting on the same rate of nitrogen across every field. And of course, we had areas that weren't yielding very well. Well, you know what happens with nitrate? Um, it can end up stripping out calcium when you have excess. So you do, that's another reason why you do not want to overdo it on nitrogen on any of your acres. But anyway, for the most part, calcium is a lot more stable than what we're going to find out of sulfur or sulfate especially. So anyway, how do you manage those things? And should we build up sulfur when it's going to be leachable? I, I mean, it can get a little bit confusing. So that's what we want to get into on the show today. Let me start with this. We were just having a discussion a few minutes ago here talking about our own farm and some low pH spots and some low calcium areas. Now, if you've got lots of magnesium or quite frankly, lots of sodium, potassium, or hydrogen, your calcium percentage is going to look low on the base saturation test. And we always want that 65 to 75%, maybe even 80%, somewhere in that kind of range. If we don't have that, we're too high or too low, we got a problem. Something else isn't in balance. We're trying to find balance in our soil all the time. And calcium is one of the most important, perhaps the most important nutrient for your soil. It's also really important for your plants because that's how a lot of nutrients get in. It's kind of on the back of calcium. So you want good calcium levels in the soil for good porosity, good drainage, good soil life. Uh, your, your soil is just going to be a lot more fit more often when you have calcium at that right percentage. Whereas just for example, if you have magnesium that's really high, I can almost guarantee you, you've got a tight, poorly drained soil, not as much air getting into the ground. You're not going to have as much root growth, not as much soil life. You want that calcium again, 65 to 75%, if not even 80% in that soil. With sulfur, when we start talking about how you're going to build that, let me say this. We find some sulfur levels are ridiculously high where there is poor drainage. So my point here is we can build sulfur levels when your drainage is so poor, the sulfur and any of the leachables, nitrate, boron, chloride, that none of them will flush out because your drainage is that poor. That is not the way we're going to encourage you to build your sulfur levels. 
Here's one of the things you need to know. In soil organic matter, every year it's going to mineralize. It's going to break down and it's going to release some free nutrients for your crops, including nitrate and phosphate. And those things are great, but it will also release some sulfur for you. We usually figure not much, but two to three pounds for every percent of soil organic matter every year. So on our ground, we have some 5% organic matter soils. That'd be 10 to 15 pounds of sulfur. And I mean, that's pretty good, but let's put it this way. When we're going for big time yields, I'm not saying every area on our farm is this, but we do have areas where we're hitting 300 bushel corn. So on the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app, I'm just pulling this up right now. I plug in 300 bushel corn and it tells me I need 45 pounds of sulfur. 45, not 4.5. A lot of people think sulfur is a micronutrient. It's not. Both calcium and sulfur are secondary nutrients. You need quite a bit. 45 pounds of sulfur. That's a lot. By the way, with calcium, your crop, that 300 bushel corn, needs 43 pounds of calcium every year. So, yeah, it's not as much as potassium would be the number one nutrient most needed by corn. It takes the most pounds of potassium to raise your corn crop. Number two is nitrogen. So this is down the list a little bit, but it's certainly not one of these things, either calcium or sulfur, where you just need a pound or two like many of those micronutrients. 45 pounds for sulfur. So if I can get some out of the soil organic matter, great. But you're going to need more. And we don't have acid rain anymore to the degree that we used to. So we used to get sulfur that was literally raining down from the sky. Every time it rained, you got a little bit of sulfur in your field. You might still get a tiny amount of sulfur, but it's very minimal compared to what it used to be 20, 30, 40 years ago. Anyway, my point is this. If you're going for bigger yields, you're going to need to add sulfur to that crop somehow, some way. And there are lots of sources, lots of sources for both calcium and sulfur. So on our farm, for example, we put on manure, uh, both calcium and sulfur in that. We actually use some water treatment lime. We're going to be spreading a little water treatment lime this fall. Got lots of calcium, obviously, but there's a fair amount of sulfur in that water treatment lime too. We've used compost over the last few years. Calcium and sulfur are both in that. We use a little bit of gypsum. Calcium and sulfur are both in that. You see where I'm going with this. You have lots of options. Uh, just about every micronutrient we apply in the farm, it's in the form of a sulfate, so like zinc sulfate, copper sulfate, and so on. All right, so we've talked about calcium and sulfur just to kind of kick things off today, but we're going to discuss those a little bit more as we go throughout the show. We're also going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Every day, we have a lot of great questions that come in, and I, I just, first of all, want to thank you for sending us your questions. And if you do have a question... Just send it to us, radio at agphd.com. Again, that email address is radio at agphd.com. That's one of my favorite things that I get to work on every single day is just answering great questions that we get from our listeners. Stay tuned. We're going to talk more about building and managing calcium and sulfur next. Hey, Fred, how's harvest coming? Well, got to take care of my STDs. Your what? <laughs> my soil transmitted disease. Got white mold spreading in my bean fields again. Foliar fungicides alone just aren't cutting it, and I can't seem to get rid of it. Fred, get ahead of the spread. My agronomist highly recommends Contans WG from Sipcam Agro. It's definitely your solution to control white mold at its source. Huh, thanks, Joe. I'm calling my retailer today for Contans WG. 
You've done it, your yields are on the rise. But when it comes to marketing, are you falling short? Invest in yourself with Agris Academy. Agris Academy is offering a first-of-its-kind masterclass in commodity merchandising and risk management. Learn the best practices and tactics of the world's leading risk managers and apply them to your farm. Contact your buyers with a new confidence and boost your farm's profitability. Agris Academy's 10-week masterclass begins this November and is hosted on Acres TV. Sign up today with early discount code ACRES at agrisacademy.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excaldia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excaldia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being bunkered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excaldia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excaldia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Get more durability for less downtime with Sawyer Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about managing calcium and sulfur in your soil, uh, building levels as needed. Those are two super important nutrients. And you say, wait a second, they're secondary nutrients. N, P, and K are the big ones. No question about it. N, P, and K are very important primary nutrients. But calcium and sulfur are super important, as we're finding out across the country once again at this harvest season. We're seeing growers that have plenty of those nutrients out there in available quantities for their crops showing success once again. So talking about that today, we're also taking your calls and questions on today's program, 844-44-AG-PHD. Start off with Brian Waugh, works with AgroLiquid, based out of Kansas. How you doing, Brian? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing well. We're doing well. Calcium and sulfur. Uh, obviously, we've gotten a lot of press about sulfur, it seems, the last few years, but hardly anybody talks about calcium, Brian. Why, why, why don't we talk about this super important nutrient? Well, I think a lot of times uh, the guys that are in the lower pH situations, they, they're, they're used to liming. They, they make those adjustments periodically, uh, and then you get into areas where I live, in western Kansas, and we've got a lot of calcium in our soil. Uh, we're actually trying to get rid of or lower that base saturation a bit. Um, it's just a little more challenging on the high end, high pH end of things to get things lowered uh, than it is managing up the calcium level. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And we've got a little bit of both on our farm, some spots where We've got low calcium in some spots where we've got too much, and I will totally agree with you. When, well, just just today we were talking about all right, we got crops off. What's the next step in our plan? And well, sure enough, we got low calcium here. We're calling the truck, we're bringing the calcium, and that's pretty simple. Uh, but on the other side of things, we got some ground that's way too high, and that yeah, that's a constant challenge. Uh, talk to us about sulfur in your area. What, how are guys using it in, in the crops you've got and with your climate? 
Sure. Well, uh, again, when I look at western Kansas or a good portion of Kansas, uh, we're we're trying to get sulfur out at every opportunity. I think you guys have said that we're no longer getting that free sulfur. Um, and so every application that we have, that we have an opportunity to get sulfur out, uh, we're doing that. You know, we'll, we'll apply that in conjunction with our nitrogen. Um, one of the key things, you know, as you mentioned, I work with AgroLiquid. One of our key applications is at, at planter time. We've got a product that is a, allows us to feed safe sulfur. Um, with our enhanced products, so we try to adjust that in that uh, method as well. Um, but every time that we are making a pass across, a lot of our products all include sulfur in some form or fashion, um, so that we're promoting that at every every application. I'm glad you brought that up, Brian, because I see a lot of nutrients in the sulfate form and we're getting a lot of little sulfur here, little sulfur there. Uh, just, just easy come uh, that way when you look at putting on zinc or putting on some of these different nutrients, have it in the sulfate form. I think there's a lot of good things about that. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things, uh, as you look at soil tests, and I'm actually out pulling soil tests, soil samples today, when you look at the soil test, um, a lot of times you'll, as you're looking at your, your primary nutrients, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, um, a lot of times guys will go to the zinc next, and now they're starting to pay a lot more attention to the sulfur um, because they realize that that sulfur aspect can be used as a soil amendment to adjust your, your uh, base saturations and, and make other nutrients more available. Um, so we're spending a little more time looking at that. How do we adjust that up? How do we get the best form out there for what we're trying to accomplish? Yeah, there are different forms that these nutrients come in, and we're talking about calcium, and we're talking about sulfur today, and uh, obviously I'm sure we'll get into gypsum along the way where you've got calcium sulfate, and you get, well, why not just do it all at once? Well, sometimes that's a good solution. Sometimes it's better to approach them uh, a little bit differently than that. We're talking with Brian Waugh, works out in Kansas, and is pulling soil samples today. Brian, I love it. I hear from you agri-liquid guys all the time. Get good soil samples. Get good soil samples. Well, here's somebody that's walking the walk, too. Absolutely. Well, pulling them on some alfalfa and some crops that have just come off. So, uh, yeah, making plans for next year. Outstanding. Well, Brian, great talking to you. I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Got a friend, Kelly Garrett, on right now, farms in Iowa and is also part of the Extreme Ag Group. Kelly, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Darren? Pretty good. Pretty good. We're talking calcium and sulfur today. I know those are super important nutrients on your farm as well. Uh, when when you look, at, I know we'll, we'll get into sulfur here in just a second, but talk to us about calcium in the, the hills that you guys farm. Too much calcium, not enough calcium, or a little bit of both? Calcium frustrates me very much, Darren, because there's too much in my soil. It ties up my nutrients, but it gets tied up because of the do double positive charge. It's a very aggressive element with that, with that double positive charge. And because of that, because of the tie-up in the soil, it ties up other nutrients as well as itself. And I don't get enough in the plant. 
So we have to find a way to, to provide it to the plant with inferral treatments and foliar treatments. And then because of this double positive charge, it's hard to find a product that we can apply foliar or in the planter because it doesn't always play well with other things. So it is a very frustrating element, but a very important element. Yes, I, I think that's on purpose. <laughs> I think if it was if it was so important, but it's really really easy, then uh, that that wouldn't make it a challenge. I mean, and everybody'd be doing this, Kelly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and I think it's because of the challenge, because of the challenge that it presents to work with. It's often overlooked. You know, it like you know, like your previous guest talked about. He he said it's hard to bring it down, and it it is hard to to change that. You know, we use a lot of sulfur to change it, like he talked about. And I don't necessarily worry about high pH, but I worry about base saturation calcium is what I worry about. And the two seem to run together, uh, so we use sulfur for that, like you talked about, to bring that base saturation calcium in line and release those elements. And then we you know we we apply it foliar and we apply it in furrow to uh, to get it into the plant. You got to treat the plant, not the soil, in that regard because the tie-up is so quick. Yeah, uh, you know, you look at calcium and sulfur. We can measure those on soil tests. The sulfur moves around, and is that something that you guys look for in your deep test too, or whenever you do deep tests, are you mainly looking at N? No, we we look at all of that, and I you know I think. What I believe is that sulfur moves more than nitrogen. Everybody's worried about their nitrogen leaching out, but nobody really talks about the sulfur. And it moves more than the end, in my opinion. So we're going to put sulfur on the soil as a soil amendment. But I'm really not going to count on that as much fertility because just like calcium, it gets tied up. You know, it basically, with my base saturation calcium numbers being high and being a real yield-limiting factor, probably my biggest yield-limiting factor, I'm going to apply sulfur to amend that calcium, effectively making gypsum in our soil. So any sulfur that I want to count on as fertility, Darren, is going to be foliar applied. Okay, so so your uh, byproduct that you're using on your farm, that has a lot of sulfur too, Plant doesn't food. it? Plant food. There you go. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, that has, a lot of, that, a, <laughs> that has a lot of sulfur, doesn't it? 400 gallons has about 80 pounds of elemental sulfur. And okay. what a game changer that is on the on these less hills here in western Iowa to help us amend that base saturation. You know, uh, 400 gallons of plant food has 80 pounds of sulfur, 80 pounds of phosphorus, but only about 20 pounds of potassium. But you cannot believe the potassium that will become available because you're going to lower the base saturation calcium, allowing the lower the base saturation calcium, allowing that potassium to come available, I've seen a point and a half or even a two-point difference in base saturation potassium while only applying 20 pounds of potassium. Because it's in the soil, it's there, it's just been tied up or pushed out of the way so long by that calcium. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I know how many tests you guys have been pulling over the years. I know how much work you've done on this to try to understand your soils. It doesn't come overnight, but it does start by doing some measurements on your own farm, pulling some soil samples, and learning from them on a year-to-year basis. Uh, Kelly, yeah, that, that's awesome. I really appreciate all the information today. Good luck to you guys as you get a lot of stuff going on this fall. You too, Darren. Have a great day. Bye. Talking about calcium and sulfur on today's program. And if you've got agronomic questions, we'd love to help. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. From the moment the first seed is in the ground, your days until harvest are numbered. Each day, every decision leads to your bottom line. So when it comes to harvest, rely on the only combine built to deliver the numbers you deserve. The Kloss Lexion gives you the quality, efficiency, reliability, and precision that make every minute count. Go ahead, let the numbers drive you. With the Lexion Combine, built by Kloss. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at Farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our topic is building and managing calcium and sulfur in your soils, two important secondary nutrients. And we've got our friend Neil Kinsey on to talk about that a little bit with Kinsey Ag Services. Neil, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Calcium and sulfur, sometimes it all goes together. Sometimes you might one at a time things here a little bit. Uh, like, let's talk about calcium first. Uh, where we've got low calcium, one of the top questions that we get from our listeners is what does Neil Kinsey mean when he says if calcium base saturation is below 60%, what do you mean I can't use gypsum? I'd like to use gypsum, but you say use lime. Why, why is lime a better source in that case? 
Well, first of all, the farmer's the manager, and we're only an advisor. If he decides to use gypsum, that's up to him. But if you're below 60% saturation of calcium, and that 450 pounds of calcium in a ton of gypsum is not enough to get you above 64% saturation of calcium on the soil test, uh, and it's not going to reach there, but we've got to have that much calcium there in order to have the correct porosity, the correct amount of space in that soil. If we don't have that uh, porosity corrected to at least 60% calcium, the sulfur that's put on from that gypsum won't take out anything but calcium because the magnesium, potassium, and sodium have to have at least 60% saturation of calcium before any of those, if they're in excess, will move out of the soil. That's why we tell people you need at least 60. If you've got 60% saturation of calcium, it's going to work. If you have 57, 58, or 59, and you can add the calcium that you already have plus the calcium that you're adding from the gypsum and then figure, okay, based on the exchange capacity, do we have at least 64% calcium? That means it's not going to drop back below 60 again. That's the reason. Yeah, I know we've had you talk about calcium a number of times on our show. It's it's a big deal. When we've done trainings with you, multi-day trainings, it seems like a whole day goes into calcium. It's just a super important nutrient, Neil. What? Why is that? Is that one your favorite? Well, it as far as the two things you're talking about today are the things I feel like are still the most neglected in agriculture. That's calcium and sulfur. And, yes, calcium is one of my favorites because – it, if once we have the proper understanding of calcium, it makes more difference than anything else we can do if we're, if we're lacking that and can, can figure out why do we need to put it on. And what, what we like is that everyone understands the reason why you're doing it, not just a matter of say, well, I'm, I think I need some, I'll put it on. You know, when you look at, at the different forms of calcium, and we, we talked just a little bit about this or just gotten started on that, uh, what are the best ways to get calcium out there? It seems like if you pay attention, there's there's a lot of different sources, whether it's water treatment plant lime, beet lime, uh, ag lime, gypsum, and just on and on and on. There's just lots of calcium choices. There are. There are many calcium sources, and a few that people sometimes overlook would be uh, – uh, poultry manure, and used to, it was laying hen manure that had a lot of calcium in it. But even today, some of the broilers that the, where they feed to get that real quick production, they need stronger bones. And so we can get as much calcium out of a, some broiler litter as we do out of laying hen litter. Uh, not unusual to find 300 pounds per ton in, in some, especially in, in laying hen manure litter, but we even see that in some broiler litter anymore. So that's like putting on a half ton of limestone every time you put on a ton of, of uh, manure or litter. Yeah, it really adds up. There's no doubt about that, and you really need a complete analysis of whatever product you're going to put on your soil. Uh, one one other thing that we see that, that comes in a lot of different sources is sulfur, and I, I know for us, uh, even you know, putting on manure or putting on uh, different sources of lime, we're always looking to see how much sulfur is in there because sometimes there's quite a bit of that too. Sometimes there is, uh, especially for those who are using sulfur and then feeding their own feeds and then making them, taking the manure or the compost from that. But on the other hand, uh, so many composts and manures that we see have maybe 
six percent, uh, or sometimes as little as three or four pounds, or up to uh, six pounds. Rarely ever do we see a, a compost or a manure that has ten pounds of sulfur per ton, unless sulfur is being added to that soil or to the the crop that's being grown there. You know, when you look but at the fertilizer sources, the fertilizer sources like ammonium sulfate, potassium sulfate, calcium sulfate, a lot of there are a lot. What we look at in terms of sulfur is, if you start on the east coast, seems like you have trouble getting people to put on enough sulfur. When you go to the west coast, because they have so many high pHs, many times we got sulfur that's actually causing other nutrients to be tied up because so much is being applied. You know, with the with the different sources that you mentioned there too, Neil. We were talking just earlier with uh, Brian Waugh, who works with AgriLiquid Fertilizer, and it, it's interesting because a lot of their fertilizer sources are in the sulfate form. Is that a more available form with foliar feeding, with infro applications, putting things in that sulfate form? The sulfate form, to me, is the most available form, and you can find other uh, other publications that say, oh, sulfate's the worst you can use, but if we want to build a micronutrient even, the sulfate sources always work. Sometimes an oxide source like zinc oxide, if you pulverize it, it'll still work, but we can't pulverize manganese enough, manganese oxide enough to get it to build in a soil. So uh, now maybe somebody will finally find out a way to do that, but what we have to look at is if we put on a pound, how much of that do we show get to show up as an available material over time? And the sulfates always work the best. I mean, if you can use a sulfate, that's the safest form to use in terms of increasing your sulfur levels or increasing the sulfur availability to the plants, yes. Some of the fertilizer products out on the market today are putting a combination of some sulfate and some elemental sulfur uh, what's the big difference there? When when do you choose to use some elemental sulfur? I've seen on some of your recommendations, you're, you're recommending that a farmer would put elemental on, and other times you're recommending sulfate forms. Well, if the if the sulfur uh, if the level of sulfur on the test is above 20 parts per million, we don't emphasize elemental sulfur as much as we do getting some sulfate sulfur on there. Uh, if you have less than that, we specifically will always recommend some elemental sulfur simply because it's a slower form of release and we've got sulfur that will last further into the season to be sure we don't run out because sulfate sulfur is available relatively quickly unless you have a hard pan or something that's keeping it from moving through. It's either going to be used or it's going to move through the soil. So that elemental sulfur for the first thing is a little bit of insurance and then secondly we will recommend elemental sulfur if there's not enough sulfur from other sulfate sources to give what we need in order to make sure we have enough for whatever crop we're growing yeah there's a lot to understand here with with nutrients in general we're just talking about two ones or focusing on two today calcium and sulfur and just so happy to have neil kinsey with us if you haven't gotten your hands on a uh, a copy of his book hands-on agronomy i strongly recommend it and of course uh, neil does workshops and clinics throughout the year you can find more information at kinseyag.com uh, or even agphd.com for when neil comes up here uh, generally with a snow 
snowstorm or, or some fun weather. Just <laughs> Neil gets too bored uh, living anywhere where it's nice and warm. He wants to come here and visit some snow sometimes. I'm just kidding, Neil. It's going to be beautiful weather this year. Uh, but All right. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and, and good luck to you. I know you're busy this time of year, too. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, if you've got agronomic questions, we would love to help you. Our phone lines are open today at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. As we get talking about nutrients like this, and it generally uh, generates some emails with soil tests and, and pictures, and that's totally fine. Uh, if you've got soil tests, we would be happy to, to take a look at them, give you a second opinion, or maybe just talk through a few things that we think look like uh, points of emphasis that, hey, what about this? What's going on here? Uh, we may have some follow-ups for you as well. Stay tuned. We're going to talk more about calcium and sulfur and hit the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its corn head should be the same, especially when it costs you yield. Drago corn heads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears. Self-adjusting deck plates save kernels. Longer knife rollers reduce trash. And aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other corn head works like a Drago or pays you back like one. See more features and find your Drago dealer at dragotech.com. When it comes to combines, capacity and cost keep going up. So if you aren't the largest farm in the county, how do you achieve the high harvesting efficiency of the big operations while still keeping costs in check? Start by checking out the Kloss Trion 740. The latest Kloss combine delivers high reliability, low maintenance, gentle threshing, and surprising efficiency. The Kloss Trion 740. Learn more at Kloss.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, 
I am a farmer and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, just talking a little about calcium and sulfur, but we're also taking your calls and questions. We're going to get back to the phone lines right now. Got Jim calling in from Wisconsin. Hey, Jim, how are you today? Yeah, we're doing pretty good here. Excellent. My question is, I I had a, a field of wheat this year. When I got the wheat taken off, the co-op said, we, hey, we got a bunch of fur, uh, wheat seed that the bugs got in it. Yep. And it's not, we can't sell it. Sure. Do you want us to throw it in with the fertilizer that sure. I spread on there? I yep. said, sure, go for it. You, you know. Yep. So my question, and it came up really good. I scratched it over, <laughs> came up really good. Yep. Uh, okay, do I hit it in the head this fall, or do I wait till spring to terminate it? You terminate it as soon as you can. Don't wait till spring then. Okay, here's the thing. Some people like having a cover crop living into the spring because this in effect now is your cover crop and by the way we've done similar things before and oh it's bad germ or whatever and then all of a sudden all the stuff grows but anyway so i personally always like to terminate stuff in the fall and the reason why is i'll still have the residue there i mean there's still something standing there so it can catch snow and everything through the winter, but at least then it's dead in the spring, or at least mostly dead in the spring, so you don't have to go killing it off in the spring. And then you don't have the the crop, that cover crop, that wheat, sucking moisture and nutrients out of the ground right away in the spring. So my preference is usually to terminate it in the fall. That's what I would do. You can wait until spring, but like I say, now you're a little bit at risk there because you got to get it killed, first of all, which is harder to do when it's cold in the spring. And then it can pull up some water and nutrients out of your soil that you may not want, especially if it ends up being a dry year. So yeah, if it's me, I'm probably spraying it off right now. Okay. And it's, it came up really thick. I mean, it's like, like a, you know, it, it yep. looked like somebody's lawn. Yeah. Now, I, and I apologize. I should have asked you this in the first place. Was it winter wheat or was it spring wheat? I never asked. They just, they just <laughs> said it was wheat. Yep. So I, I never asked. Well, you know? The, the, you know, I think where I'm going on this, the spring wheat has a lot less chance to survive the winter, whereas the winter wheat, um, that most likely is going to survive till spring. So, for example, like even in our own operation when we do cover crop, I like oats because it definitely dies off with winter kill, whereas if I have rye or winter wheat or something like that, it ends up living into the spring. So to be on the safe side, yeah, I'd probably kill it off right now. You can just use some Roundup. It's cheap and get that done right away so then you don't have to worry that, well, maybe some of it does survive the winter. But yeah, honestly, if it was spring wheat, I might try to just chance it and hope the winter kills it off. It's just, like I say, Roundup's pretty cheap right now. You can go kill it for three or four bucks an acre and be done with it too. So that's probably what I would do if it was me. I would assume it would be winter wheat because there's very, very little spring wheat grown around here. If anybody does that, they're going to put oats in. So if I was going to be a betting, I would be betting it's going to be winter wheat. Yep. So I'd go spray it it if I was you. Okay. Okay. That was my question. You bet. Well, good luck out there, Jim. Yep. Thanks for calling. Thanks. Yep. All right. Last couple things, I guess, on calcium and sulfur, I would just say, please test your soils, find out where you're at, and then 
also, if you can do smaller grids or zones, that's really good because if you're just looking at a field average, a lot of times the average can throw you off. And you've got 10, 20% of the field that's not very good, and you're wondering why. Well, it could be as simple as, hey, my calcium's out of whack, or I don't have any sulfur there, or something like that. And I, I also wanted to say, I threw out the example of excess sulfur due to poor drainage earlier. If you pull up your soil tests, or you get your soil test results this fall, and you see something like this, 500 parts per million of sulfur, or more, um, you've got a drainage problem almost for sure. I can't imagine you've spread that much sulfur on your ground in the last couple years that you should have 500 parts per million, which is 1,000 pounds of actual sulfur per acre. Pretty unlikely. So odds are you need to fix your drainage, get that done, you'll flush the sulfur out, and then along with it, it might pull out some other excesses you have in the soil, like excess magnesium or something like that, and your soil should be in a lot better shape. And if you have any questions on any of that kind of stuff, or you get your soil test results and you go, ooh, this looks weird, send it to us. I like looking at the strange and unusual soil tests, and maybe we can help you out. Let's go back to the phone lines, get Gordon calling in from Michigan. Hey, Gordon, how are you today? Pretty good. We're finally starting to get some rain. It'll be harvest season. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. We we, yeah. we got lucky. We just finished harvest on our farm, and now it's supposed to rain starting tomorrow night. So Now, granted, we've got yeah. fertilizer to spread, tillage to do, manure to apply. we got lots of other jobs, so I didn't want it to rain, but that's the way it goes. Hey, I hear you got a question yeah, on uh, dry. Yeah, I hear you. You got a question on dry micronutrients. Yeah, looking at the price of liquids versus dry, and there's a huge difference for me. Um, so I thought about uh, trying to run some dry micronutrients through the insecticide hoppers on our corn planter, and um, you know, to try, you know, try it that way, I could save quite a bit of money. Um, it probably, I'm just wondering if I could use the sulfate forms of manganese and zinc, and you know, just kind of curious what your thoughts would be on that. Hmm. Um, I, I think you could. I know one of the issues we have sometimes in the spring is just uh, if, let's say, the fertilizer starts to accumulate a little moisture and then it, uh, uh, it, it, it well, gets clumpy. It, yes, it, yes, thank you. And, and think of the word. Normally, not as much of a problem if you're running a straight product. If you're running a blend, it, it, it just gets worse but yeah i see where you're going with this you want to band it so we've been banned we've been doing something similar to exactly what you're talking about it's just we do it in the fall with a strip till machine um, the only concern i would have is if you get too much in the furrow then right yeah two by two much safer or so yeah, if you can or, be off to the side or band it right over the top something yep, like that yeah but see okay so let's talk about that he just brought up like zinc sulfate well zinc isn't going to move very well in the soil so it's right. if you put it on top it's going to stay on top until you work it in eventually a year or two years later or whenever so that would be my only concern with that so you can see kind of where i'm going i like the general theory and i like the idea of okay we can band and get um we don't put on as much like you said you save some money by banding i I, I'm totally with you on that. But if I have to put it in furrow, I just want to be careful. Now, I will say zinc sulfate is usually pretty safe to see. That's one of the safer ones out there. I'm not as worried about that as a lot of other forms of nutrients. Okay, so 
you could probably do some. Just keep your rate real low. Try it out on a small scale. Just make sure that everything goes good. But you know, I I, I might be willing to try that if if that was the only method I had to put that out there. Because zinc is really important for plants, and zinc sulfate is a good source. Our soils are quite low in manganese. We we do see um, some positive results, say the foliar feeding, manganese, oh, and so forth. Okay. And that was another one I yep. thought of trying to put in for all. Yep. Um, quick question, um, is the sulfate form one of the reasons causing the bridging and so forth versus just straight manganese, if I could find a manganese product or a straight zinc okay. product? Okay, I'm not... I'm not guaranteeing you're going to have any bridging problems. I'm just saying when you oh, okay. think about an insecticide hopper, um, it, I, I guess it being enclosed like it is, I, I, you hopefully are going to be just fine. But just every once in a while with fertilizer, it can get a little clumpy when you're doing smaller applications, smaller rates. You've got things really dialed down. You're not letting a lot through. Whereas you think about a fertilizer spreader, I mean, you can have big clumps. If it happens, everything flies through and you're done. So, yeah, I I, I hate to even bring it up, but (laughs) every once in a while we see a few issues. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we used to do dry fertilizer on the planter. Every every few days, we yep. have to take things apart because the yep. augers would get caked up, you know, exactly. with fertilizer and stuff. Yes. Uh, you yep. think there's a limit of how much zinc sulfate or manganese sulfate we should think of? Well, there's always a limit. Now, what that is exactly, right. um, I don't know. I mean, a few pounds of each. Yeah. I wouldn't get real carried away. Right. Uh, okay. Yep. All right. And well, thank you very much. Yeah, I was just going to say one last thing. Keep in mind fertilizer to some degree is always a little bit corrosive and that's the the only other thing that i would add so especially when we're dealing with something that isn't used to handling fertilizer and now you're running fertilizer through you may see uh you know some more paint deteriorating and certain parts wearing out (laughs) sooner and you know so i'm just i'm just throwing it all out there for you yeah, well, that's what I was. That's what I was interested in to hear what your cautionary tales would be. So. <laughs> yep, yeah, appreciate that. All right, yep. Good luck, Gordon. Thanks. Yep. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's just a lot of different ways that things can be done, and some of it too comes down to what you have for equipment and and what options you even could do. I, I'm kind of disillusioned by this a little bit, Brian. That that uh, fewer farmers are even of able to do anything with the planter or app for a lot of guys are just looking for well i'm gonna have to do some other kind of option because i i don't want to do that i i think it's really important i think it really showed up this year like even with the rootworms guys just didn't have didn't have uh, a way of controlling rootworm if they didn't use the right trait yeah um I, I'm with you. The The trait is a big deal, but yeah, okay. <laughs> when you start talking about rootworms, now we're into a whole other conversation. And I'd, I'd just say this. Um, with that fertilizer thing and to Gordon's question, we, we need to make sure we are addressing fertility always. The question is, what's the best way with the equipment that you have on your farm? So, Otherwise, obviously, you can go buy more equipment. We've we've bought uh, strip-till machines in the past where, hey, we're just going to freshen things up in the spring or, in other words, throw in cult- coulters. 
and that that's perfectly fine if you want to go shallow. Um, you can go deeper with the shank. That doesn't usually work that great in the spring, but uh, that could be done. Uh, you can go, obviously, broadcast, but where Gordon was going with this whole thing is, hey, if I banned, can I get by with less, at least in the short term? And we get that same question with our topic today with calcium and sulfur because let's say that I am real low on calcium and I have rented ground. Well, I don't want to go investing a whole bunch of money in the rented ground that I might only have for another year or two. So I don't want to go spread lime or I don't want to go spread gypsum. Can I put a low rate of calcium in furrow? Yes, I absolutely can. All right. We'll get to more of your questions and dive into the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. Provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com slash USST. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're going to dive into the Ag PhD mailbag here. We've got a couple of questions that we want to get to. Uh, first one comes in. Oh, hey, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. we got to play some mailbag music. Here. I, I tell you what, Brian, I'm, I've, I've lost. It's the mailbag. I've lost open our music for today, but well, I'm glad that worked out. Uh, okay, so first question comes in from Emery, and he said, "On your Farmer Friday, a gentleman from Tennessee had called in to ask about voles." Uh, Brian was concerned about some of the harsh chemicals that get used, uh, but I am looking at a serious problem here on our farm. Our double crop bean fields will be littered with dozens of bare spots that are 20 to 40 foot circles, solid water hemp now. So Prozap zinc phosphide, it works pretty well to control these voles. I wonder if that's one of the harsh chemicals you were talking to. My question is, can I use zinc phosphide like this? on top of the ground or does it have to be applied below the surface and looking at their label brand they say you can put it on top of the ground but not on bare ground they want it in some vegetation so in the case of i just harvested soybeans and there's nothing left out here uh, maybe if it's solid water hemp out there i guess it's not bare ground okay now first of all let's step back and we use the word I, I read his email use the word that he said for my suggestions Cheesy. <laughs> yeah. He called my suggestions cheesy. What was his name again? I'm em sorry, I missed it. Emery. Uh, come on, Emery. I didn't think my suggestions were that cheesy. I said you can do tillage or you can put out uh, anhydrous ammonia. And yes, I I realize when I say, hey, I'm, I'm worried about dangerous options. And then you go, wait a second here. You're telling me you can go with anhydrous ammonia. That sounds dangerous. What I get concerned about is this. We've always had animals around our farm, okay? Cats, dogs, deer, raccoons, everything else. And I just don't want dead animals all of a sudden laying around any one of my fields. Now, dead rats or mice or voles, fine. Uh, but 
we always liked having cats because they eliminated most of the mice, voles, any of those kind of things around our farmyard. Certainly not out in the field, but maybe you go get a bunch of cats. Now, if you want a cheesy answer, <laughs> there's my cheesy answer. Go to the Humane Society, get all the cats you can get, bring them out to the farm and take care of it that way. But anyway, no, seriously, uh, the zinc phosphide thing, can you use it? Yes. But that is one of the ones that I am a little bit concerned about because it's going to kill basically anything that eats it. The voles, uh, moles, gophers, cats, anything that's going to eat it. So that's, that is what I worry about. But, I mean, I get it. If you're going to lose parts of your field, you're like, okay, well, there's a, there are always trade-offs with these things. And at some point, yeah, I might go that direction. But first, if I don't want to do tillage, I try the, the anhydrous thing. You usually don't need a lot, and that will get rid of a lot of your rodents that are out there, including the voles. Now, if that doesn't work for you, then I'm all for going to this other option, but that's my last resort. It's basically what I'm saying. All right. Thanks for the question, Emery. Let's see if I can get another cheesy answer to this next one, Darren. <laughs> well, this one you might. <laughs> this one comes from Allie, who said, uh, can we use magnesium and ferrous fertilizer together? Ferrous iron. If so, please describe. Now, yeah, sure. I'm assuming we're talking about liquid here, and anytime you're mixing and liquids I was thinking together. Dry. Yeah, dry, I'm not worried about. Liquid, that might be a concern, and we'd certainly oh, jar test. Mixing? Yeah. Oh, if, yeah, okay. If you did that, but- uh, I, I guess I don't know. I've never tried that before. Sure, you have. Water treatment lime has lots of magnesium, and it's got a whole bunch of ferrous no, liquid. Iron. Oh, liquid. Yeah, I've never you, tried a liquid yeah, but, like that. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying we have put well, out oh, iron say, and magnesium. You know what? It's together. possible because and we've used micronutrient exactly. blends that have both in it. Right. So it is, and they we've use done the that sulfate for years. forms. Yes. So sulfate forms might be your best bet there. So, yeah, we've used many different sources of liquid and several of dry. Yes, you can do it. But like Darren said, hey, if you're taking two totally separate products uh, and putting them together, you want a jar test if it's liquid. And if it's dry, you also have to be careful about bulk density because if you've got two different bulk densities, well, now one could settle out and one could rise to the top. You could get all your one nutrient, the iron in one area and all the magnesium in another area in the field, that's not good. So just be careful about how you're doing it. All right. And I get this question that came in from Travis. He said, guys, a few years ago, we grew non-GMO soybeans. We had perfect weed control. We used Roundup along with Dicamba, Sonic, Dual, and Prowl, all pre-emerged. Boy, it sounds like you threw a lot at it here. Well, wait, wait, and wait. He said, wait, we did a good stop, job, wait, stop, except for stop, pokeweed. Stop. Go, go back. You said non-GMO soybeans, yes. right? Yep. And did you say burn down in the spring? Apparently. With Roundup and Dicamba? Yep. Oh, my gosh. You said all pre-plant. Roundup, Dicamba, Sonic, Dual, and Prowl. I'm I'm fine with the Sonic Dual Prowl and Roundup, but my gosh, you put dicamba out in advance, that that you're gonna you're gonna absolutely damage those beans. I'll, you had yield loss. So anyway, go ahead. What was All the right. question? So pokeweed's a poisonous perennial. Okay. Uh, what will take it out pre or post? So looking at pre-emerge, actually uh, Penn State had done some work on this. They had good luck with authority with M with uh, metribuzin. 
They had good luck with canopy if you could handle that in your crop rotation. That's got a lot of classic, and so we worry about high pH and carryover. Go ahead. Yep. And Python worked well, so ALS. Now, a lot of times guys will say ALS products are pretty good on pokeweed, but they aren't anymore. They're only about 60% control, so they're seen yeah. more as tank mix helpers. Um, so that, that could be used. I mean, there's a number of different pre's. We like using what we call the three pre's. So we're using one of the yellows and they don't mention that, but we use uh, trifluralin or prowl like you would use. So if you're in no-till prowl would be the option. So we like that. The group 15 that you threw out there pre-emerge, you could certainly do that, or you could add that in post-emerge. Uh, then post-emerge, here's the problem. In conventional soybeans, I don't have anything that's going to just knock it out a hundred percent. Nope. In Traded soybeans in uh, Extend Flex or Enlist uh, traded beans. You've got Dicamba and 2,4-D as options. You've got Roundup and Liberty as options. Don't have that in non-GMOs. And the the products like Cobra, Reflex, Flexstar, they burn it, but they don't take it out, as you well know. And the ALS herbicides like First Rate and others, they're maybe 60%. So even the combination of those two is is not very good. Uh, so I, I was looking to uh, uh, Penn State because our friend Dwight Lingenfelter, uh, he had written an article about this. And he said, well, the best thing he found was using a weed wiper. And getting them when they're when they outgrow the crop and using a 50-50 mix of Roundup and water. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that certainly could be done. And honestly, it's not a bad option to have around if you have non-GMO beans, because if something does get past you, I mean, you can uh, you can go out there and and walk the fields too, that kind of thing. But um, using a wiper could be pretty helpful if you have some big weeds that get past you. So especially if Roundup is effective on them. So that's that's our best suggestion for you, Travis. Thanks for the for the email. Really appreciate that. Yeah, there are some tougher weeds out there, especially when you take out the uh, the GMO type crops that they give you those extra options. Uh, Brian, one thing. Um, so we were talking about calcium and sulfur on today's program. Uh, one thing that, that Kelly Garrett brought up too, he said he's just constantly feeding a little bit of sulfur here, a little bit of sulfur there. Uh, out onto his crops. And this is one where, you know, being in a dry environment without much rainfall, with heavier soils, higher organic matter soils, not as much leaching, uh, it seems like we can get some sulfur to hold up here a little better than in other areas of the country with lighter well, when soils. It, if it never rains, then anything will hold in your soil, well, including nitrogen. I know, but even, a, <laughs> even if we're back to normal rainfall, when you talk about 20 to 24 inches it's of moisture throughout the entire year. Heavy ground. It's, I'm with it's you. not much. And yep. if it doesn't come in large quantities all at once, like two inches at a time, we still don't get much movement. Like this year we had a lot of a uh, tenth of an inch, quarter of an inch kind of rains. They didn't do anything. I've got lime sitting in two of my fields from two years ago that's still sitting there. You can still see it. It hasn't broken down at all. Uh, in fact, I was having a conversation with uh, with Rob Fritz this morning, an, an agronomist, uh, and Rob's like, man, I look at your soil test and I say, apply lime, but you already did. It's just sitting there. It hasn't had enough moisture to get get working. So that's something to think about, too. You know, when you've got sulfur, everything's going to change. If you've got irrigation, if you've got light soils, those types of things, feeding some throughout the year is good. And I know a lot of folks will, especially with wheat and corn, add some nitrogen in crop 
putting some sulfur with that is becoming very, very common. Yes. And and guys are seeing some nice gains with that. Uh, in fact, even some of the universities are finding now adding sulfur into crops that previously were thought to not need much for sulfur. Uh, surprisingly, they're seeing some nice gains on, on other crops like soybeans and, and other things too. So just keep those two things in mind, calcium and sulfur. We want to make sure we've got enough of each out there to feed your crop. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.